Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's July 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we're practicing social distancing by recording 10 feet apart in an empty theater. It's weird, but way better than Zoom. Today, we bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Rob, wrote us a letter... Yes, an actual letter with a stamp on it and everything, asking us to play the case of the killer cards from the new adventures of Nero Wolf. The New Adventures of Nero Wolf was the third radio series based on mystery writer Rex Stout's popular detective character, Nero Wolf. Notable for his keen mind and stout build, Wolf preferred to solve mysteries from the comfort of his own home surrounded by his books and orchids. Wolf's assistant, Archie Goodwin, provided the legwork required to track down clues and follow up leads. What's more, Goodwin also made sure the refrigerator was well stocked with Wolf's favorite drink of choice, beer. The series debuted on NBC Radio in the fall of 1950, starring Sidney Greenstreet in the title role. Known for his portrayal of another infamous fat man, Casper Gutman, in the film adaptation of The Maltese Falcon, Greenstreet's casting was met with immediate approval from Nero Wolf fans as well as the author himself. Unfortunately, Rex Stout was not as impressed by the scripts. According to Stout's biographer, John McAler, the author listened to five minutes of one episode and never listened again. Although Greenstreet played Wolf in all 26 episodes of the series, the role of Archie Goodwin was played by five different actors. Wally Mayer, Lawrence Dobkin, Herb Ellis, Gerald Moore, and Harry Bartell. It's unknown what led to the high turnover rate, but some have suggested it was financial. By 1950, radio was losing ad revenue to television at an alarming rate, and it was difficult for a network to support an expensive radio program for very long without a sponsor, particularly a radio show with a Hollywood film star in the leading role. Ultimately, the cost was too high for NBC, and the network canceled the series in April of 1951. Today, the series is appreciated for its focus on character and humor. Many Nero Wolf fans consider Sidney Greenstreet's performance to be a definitive one, disappointed only by the fact he never had the chance to play the detective on the silver screen. And now let's listen to The Case of the Killer Cards, from the new adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet, Gerald Moore, and William Johnstone. First broadcast, January 12th, 1951. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from your speakers. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means mystery, adventure. Nero Wolf's office, Archie Goodwin speaking. You want Mr. Wolf to what? Mr. Wolf will do nothing of the sort, Archie. Mr. Wolf is thirsty. Hold on for a moment. Uh, the bottle opener is in the left-hand drawer of your desk. Thank you, Archie. Mr. Wolf, I've got a man named Denby on the phone. He wants you to umpire a card game. The man is insane. He's offering a fee. The answer is no. I know nothing of card games, nor do I wish to learn. Okay. Well, the answer is no, Mr. Denby. 
Sure, I'll ask him again. After he finishes the beer he's working on. Goodbye. People appall me. The fantasies they indulge in. Bah, what on earth made that maniac think I might consent to preside at a card game? Well, it seems he expects one of the players to be deaf. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, balkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world. That chair-borne genius, Nero Wolfe. Created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. not attend, but the card game went on anyway. At the home of a Mr. Stephen Denby. Well. Gene? Yeah? Acosta? Mr. Piper? Mm-hmm. I think we're ready to begin, eh? I'm ready. Yes, Jean. You always are. How I like that remark. I'll have to decide later on. Yeah, please do. Acosta? It's all right with me. And Mr. Piper? I, uh, I brought a deck. No, as host, I shall supply the cards. Uh, before we play, I examine them, yes? Of course. Here you are. Chuck. Yeah, Mr. Denby. You will remain outside the door until call. No one is to enter this room under any circumstances. Got it. Lucaster? The cards look all right. Thank you. Now then... Shall we make things absolutely clear? You mean, should you make a speech? I don't mind. But uh, make it short, huh? I shall. The four of us seated at this table are joint owners of the Candy Club, a rather successful institution devoted to the sale of food, liquor, entertainment... And the gambling. And games of chance. For some time now, we have all resented sharing the profits. Some of us have attempted to buy out the others. Again, you needn't babble on. No one wants to sell. We know that. True, true, Mr. Piper. Which is the reason for this little game of cards? One hand shall be dealt to each of us. A hand at poker. Whoever wins gets the club. The others retire as gracefully as they can. Agreed? That's why we... Agreed. Very well. The cards are shuffled. I'll place them in the center of the table. Macasto... Would you like to... I cut. Good. If nobody minds, I'll cut them too. After Mr. Lacastle. Nobody minds. Happy now, Mr. Piper? Let's get going, huh? Very well. Unless Jean would care to... Oh, We're all crooks here, which sort of cancels out any funny business with a card. Very well. We shall all draw a card in turn until five cards are drawn by each player. Shall we start, Jean? Sure. Lucasto? Okay. Mr. Piper? Yes, of course. And myself. We just keep going in rotation. This is fun. Fun? No, no. There's too much money which rides on these cards. That's what makes it fun. Uh, Would you mind keeping quiet? I'm nervous. We all are, one way or another. I think we all have our five cards now. We all got them. Very well, then. 
In the same order that the cards were dealt. Jean? A pair of threes. Lucasto? Nothing. Mr. Piper? Kings. Two. The lights! Piper! What? Hey, I don't like the same stuff, eh, mister, but will you take your elbow out of my back? I'd be delighted to, Mr. Goodwin, but it's not my elbow. I don't care if it's your tibia maximus. Just take it away. Chuck wouldn't like that. Oh, we have company. Mind if I look around? Keep uh, right on walking, pal. That would be Chuck behind me, huh? And you are... My name is Denby. You may remember it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You phoned a couple of hours ago about, about a card game. Now, look, just what is your boy poking in my back? I think it's a 38. You're not sure? It might be a 45. Chuck, is it loaded? Make a funny move, pal, and you'll find out the hard way. Yo, wait a minute. It's just a passing curiosity. Uh, where are we going? My car. Get in. If you insist. I guess you do. Okay. I'll drive, Chuck. bulletproof? No, that's hardly necessary. Chuck shoots first. Well, it's a saving, I guess. The only thing is, I, uh, I hadn't figured on taking a ride. I told Mr. Wolf I was going for a walk. He disapproved, You're but... You're going for a ride. Isn't that a little corny? Now, there's a minor difference. Usually the, uh, guest, shall we say, is killed at the conclusion of the ride. In this Let's case... Let's not make the difference too minor. Huh? You will survive the ride. It's what comes afterwards that might kill you. You see, Mr. Goodwin, my friends and I have a little mystery to solve. You want me to solve it? No. We want Mr. Wolf to solve it. In order to do so, he must leave his house and come to mine. He has to in order to find the solution quickly. Why? Neither my friends nor myself have any desire to improve our acquaintance with the police... Therefore, we want the mystery solved before the police are even called in. Hence our need for Mr. Wolf. Hence our detaining you. Detaining is a pretty word in the circumstances. Now, this is my home, Mr. Goodwin. Oh, well, I don't like the architecture. I think I'll stay out. Get going, pal. On second thought... Mr. Denby, what makes you think Mr. Wolf is going to leave his house and come here? You. Unless he does so, he will lose you. Forever. The door, Chuck. Okay. Mr. Goodwin, may I introduce you to my associates in business and in poker? To your right, Mr. Lacasto, a charming but impulsive fellow. Hello. He's only the stooge. Where's the fat fellow? In time, Lacasto. The lovely lady whose back is to you is Jean. Jean something or other. She's always changing her name. Hello. Hello. And the gentleman facing you is Mr. Piper. How do you do? Uh, is he exclusive or just... Hey, he's wearing his red carnation a little low, isn't he? Over his heart. Except that's no carnation. That, Mr. Goodwin, is blood. Lifeblood. Archie. 
Oh, God, he's always taking walks. Come in. The door is unlocked. Are you? Yeah, you're Wolf. Having made a magnificent discovery, suppose you remove your hat? No, come on. I beg your pardon? Mr. Denby wants to see you. Mr. Danby can see me here. Here ain't where he wants to see you. Here, at the risk of minor monotony, is where he'll have to see me. Don't you want your boy Goodwin to keep on living? No one has ever been able to discourage him. Mr. Denby will. Ah, Archie's in custody? No, in Mr. Denby's house under a gun. I don't have to believe that. Take a look at this. Hmm, a wallet. Archie's wallet. I should accompany you. And permit me to warn you that if Mr. Goodwin has been harmed, nothing short of murder will satisfy me. It's getting late. Wolf isn't here yet. Maybe he doesn't worry about you, Goodwin. Well, he could have been delayed. Maybe an orchid needed a pollen transfusion or something. Besides, only the good die young. Then you must be very, very good, Archie. That remark I didn't care for. We sit here and wait for the fat one, but in the meanwhile, the police... The police will come when we notify them. But they will not like the delay we make to notify them. I say we waste time. I say the fat one will not risk coming. You say entirely too much. Is that so? Maybe I kill you myself. Picasso, put that gun away. Yes, darling Archie should have a chance to live. Not long if Wolf doesn't come. Stop looking so pleased. Are you afraid to die, Archie? Yeah, well, I'm not looking forward to it. It's so final. <laughs> Besides, I didn't eat a hearty dinner. And, uh... Oh, the Marines have landed. Who is it? Chuck, with Nero Wolf. Let him in. Shut the door, Chuck. Stay outside. Archie? Hello, Mr. Wolf. Oh, am I glad to see you. I regret I cannot say the same thing. Blast you, why couldn't you stay at home instead of taking those confounded walks? I warned you it'd be dangerous. Yeah, but Mr. Wolf, it wasn't the fresh air that got me. It was Denby. Mr. Wolf, I knew you wouldn't come here without some sort of pressure. I thought the method I used would be most effective. Would you really have killed Archie if I hadn't come? I would have had no choice. I would have been stuck with a witness to an unsolved murder. Suppose I cannot solve it. I should be forced to apply the same logic to two witnesses. Mm-hmm. Mr. Wolf, you really came here to save my life, huh? Nonsense. I came here for a fee, Mr. Denby. I have a check for $1,000 already made out. Clear it up. You forget. I left my home. I traveled unprotected through the streets of this city, exposed to motor accidents, to fresh air, too. You offer me $1,000. Will $2,500 do? Barely. Archie, will you take the check? Now... I presume you want me to find who killed the gentleman at the table, the one facing me, huh? His name is Mr. Piper. The name is no importance. Will you all sit at the table in the same position you were at the time of the shooting? Of course. Jean? Picasso? Good. Now for a look at the wound. Hmm. The lights, I should imagine, went out for a while when the shooting occurred. They went out? Yes. Of the three of you at the table, which one had the best motive for the murder? We all have the same motive. The club. Helpful. There was no one else in the room at the time? No one. The door? Locked. With Chuck on guard outside of it. So much for that. The windows, I notice, are closed. 
They were closed when the murder took place? They were closed. The window panes are all unbroken, which eliminates the possibility of the shot being fired from outside of them, unless one of them was raised and lowered. That wouldn't have been possible. The windows are secured by catches. Archie, will you check that? Okay, Mr. Wolf. I shall for the moment assume that the windows are neither lying nor untrustworthy. Does anyone remember anything unusual occurring at the time of the shooting? Well, someone whispered Piper just before the shot. Indeed. You all heard that whisper? We heard it. Man's voice or woman? Well, I I can't say. A whisper doesn't reveal much of anything. The windows weren't open, Mr. Wolf. Which leads to... The fact that it had to be one of us in this room. But which one, Mr. Wolf? The murder weapon. Ah, yes. Yes, yes. Has it been moved? Nobody touched it. It's laying on the floor where it was dropped. Interesting. If you look closely, you would observe two oil spots staining the rug between the revolver and the lady's chair, indicating uh, who sat at the right of Mr. Piper. I did. Why? Mr. Danby. Yes? If I were you, I would turn Mr. Lacasto over to the police. You are a liar. I, I warned you about that gun, Lacasto. Was it necessary to shoot Mr. Lacasto? In the arm, yes. He was reaching for a gun. He'll live, however, till the police take him away. What do I tell them? You could point out the angle of the wound. As you notice, Mr. Denby, the bullet entered Mr. Piper's heart from the right. Yes, so it did. Therefore, whoever sat to his right, well, that was Lucasto. Archie, you have the check? I have it. We may as well leave. Uh, Mr. Wolfe, you're sure Lucasto shot Piper? I have indicated the evidence. The rest will be up to the jury. Come, Archie. Uh-huh. Uh, Jean. Yes, Archie? Now that my life expectancy has increased, what are you doing tomorrow night? Archie? I got a scram. Lancaster 7583. I'll be ringing your bell. Oh, Mr. Denby, you better do something about Lucasto's arm or he won't live to be executed. You see, the executioner likes them warm before he chills them. Ah, the old homestead looks very nice, Mr. Wolf. Yes, Archie, you should stay in it more often. <clears throat> Yeah, but you never get to meet babes like Jean that way. You never get kidnapped, either. Nor would I have had to leave my home in order to rescue you. Yeah, well, you earned a nice fee, fast. Me? You seem doubtful about it. Positive, Archie. I know. I have not as yet earned my fee. Huh? You mean Denby might not turn Lucasto over to the cops? Of course he will. The trouble is, you see, Lucasto did not murder Piper. No? <laughs> He just thought a bullet in the heart might be good for Piper's rheumatism, huh? As it happens, Piper suffered from asthma. <laughs> That's beside the point. Fine. Mr. Wolf, I'm going to take it for granted that you know who did kill Piper. I'm also going to take it for granted that you won't tell me until you're ready. But why turn Lucasto over to the police? Two reasons, Archie. First, I had no proof against the real killer. Secondly, we had to supply a scapegoat in order to be permitted to leave the Danby home. You were unarmed, helpless. Go ahead, rub it in. Nonsense. It was an interesting problem. I enjoyed it. It was, huh? Well, to me, it's still in the present tenses. Which reminds me, as old Dr. Tidmouse said, there's always a future tense. And in that future tense, Jean. No, Archie. Oh, Mr. Wolf, stop. That girl's got a love for blood that appeals to the ghoul in me. 
Besides, did you notice what she does to her dress? Archie, I was merely about to say that I have no objections to your dallying with the girl. Oh, I don't believe it. My ears need overhauling. I objected only to the future tense. Why not call her now? Yeah, well, I won't pretend I understand this sudden enthusiasm on your part about my love life. Probably there's some foul scheming motive at the bottom of it. But who am I to look a gift horse in the mouth? Now, let's see. Her number was, uh... Lancaster, 7583, of course. This is the most beautiful bar and grill I've ever seen, Archie. Drank, you mean? What? Uh, Never mind, never mind. All right. Archie, did anybody tell you you were beautiful, too? Well, a girl here and there has mentioned it. Oh, were they liars? No. Tell me, Jean, how did you ever get into the gambling den racket? Because I'm a crook. Well, I suspected that, but... uh, I want another drink. You've had enough. I want another drink, and when Jean wants another drink, no gentleman who is a gentleman... Jean, get down. Oh, let me go. I don't want to climb under the table. Don't stay under here until the barrage stops. Huh. I guess the war's over. All right, Jean, get up. No, now I'm here. I like it. I'm going to stay here for months and months. Jean, do you realize that somebody just tried to kill you? And I thought you had such a nice, honest face. No, 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 not me. Somebody out in the street. I don't know why, but Mr. Wolf will. Come on, pour yourself together and let's go see him. The nice fat man? All right, I like him. You do? Why? Because he'd make such a big corpse. Plus Jean. What made you think I wanted her here? She's one of your fans. (laughs) She thinks you'd make a lovely corpse. What was the reason for bringing her here? She was shot at. Did you expect her to be? I expected her to be killed. That's why I sent you to her. It didn't occur to you I might be killed too? It did. I was willing to take the chance. You were willing? (laughs) Oh, Mr. Wolf, Jean's a little under the weather. Splendid. In vino veritas. Watch your language. I mean that people in their cups often tell the truth, a proverb of some antiquity. Who shot at you tonight, Jean? Well, I don't know. I, I didn't see. Has it occurred to you that you might just as easily have murdered Piper as not? But Lucasto killed Piper. You said so yourself. I lied. Furthermore, why the attack on you if Lucasto was the murderer? Well, I... I don't know. Did you also not know that Lucasto escaped from jail earlier this evening? You're making that up. Why should I? Mr. Denby turned him over to the police, but Lacasto managed to get away before being jailed. That's not crooked. Incidentally, Mr. Denby will be joining us at any moment. I expected you to bring Jean Archie. Therefore, with the exception of Mr. Piper, who is resting in the morgue, and Mr. Lacasto, who is at large, we shall have all the participants in the card game. With them, perhaps, we can deal a new hand, hmm? Archie? Okay. Maybe it's the morgue to tell us Piper escaped. Oh, wrong again. Come in, Mr. Denby. Mr. Wolf, I'm upset. I heard over the radio about Lucasto's escape. He'll try to kill us all. Why? Because we can testify that he murdered Piper. Truly. I beg your pardon? 
Luke Castor did not kill Piper. But you said that he did. The only evidence against Luke Castor was the angle of the entrance of the bullet that lodged in his heart. May I remind you of the whisper you all heard in the darkness preceding Piper's death? The whisper that said Piper? Precisely. We must assume, then, that Piper turned his body in the direction of the whisper. Therefore, the angle of the wound would be wrong for Lucasto, but the correct one for... Whoever sat opposite Piper. I sat opposite him, but that doesn't mean I killed him. Wait, you must have. Once he turned, the bullet must have come from opposite him. Only possible way. That means you, Jean. No. No, it's a frame. May I interrupt for a moment? Mr. Denby, if our present analysis is correct... It must have been you who whispered to Piper. Did you? I... I hadn't thought about it before, but... Denby, you're lying. No, he's not lying. Continue, Mr. Denby. Well, when the lights went out, I wanted to tell Piper something. He he turned to me, and that's when he was shot. Archie, you've taken all this down. In my prettiest shorthand, Mr. Wolf. Good. I, I don't know why you're doing this, Denby. Maybe you think if I take the rap, you'll get the club. But remember, Lacasto's still free. He's gunning for all of us. But it'll be you. Especially you he'll want. Maybe you can talk a jury into sending me up for something I didn't do, but you won't live to gloat about it. Oh, shut up, Jean. You killed Piper and... Who's that? This is, of course, the murderer of Mr. Piper. No comments? Archie, the door, if you please. But but you said I was the one who... What kind of idiocy is this? Archie, I said the door. Okay, but shall I ask him in or sock him? You will act as the situation demands. Yes, sir. But for once, I'd like to know what the situation is. Raise him, Goodwin, and keep him that way. Now back up into the living room. I don't back up, Good. My gears... You want it here? Uh, Never mind, I'll strip a gear. Archie, what are you doing? Just what the situation demands, backing up. In case your knowledge of armaments has failed you, our little friend Chuck here is pointing a thirty-eight revolver at me. You won't save him from the chair. Maybe not. But it could give me quite a pain in the stomach. Chuck, what do you think you're doing? You double-crossing louse. Gentlemen, if you So please. you thought you'd run to the fat dick and pin it all on me, huh, Denby? You don't know what you're talking about. We haven't even mentioned you. You're sure of that, huh? Then why did Wolf phone me and tell me you were about to sing? Wolf phoned you? Yeah. Said you were getting ready to feed me to the electrician up the river. Oh, he was making a stab in the dark, Chuck. Trying to start something. That's so, Wolf. Archie, will you read Chuck your notes about Mr. Denby's statement regarding the whisper? Well, that doesn't mean... It could be misunderstood. Read me the notes, Goodwin. Here it is, I quote. When the lights went out, I wanted to tell Piper something. He turned to me That's all I need to hear. Chuck, you were selling me out after hiring me to knock off Piper. You dumb gunman. Now you've given Wolf what he wants, a confession. I was trying to pin it on Gene. That's what you say now. It's kind of late, though. Too late for you. No, no. Goodbye, Mr. Denby. Nice shooting, Chuck. Stay put, Goodwin. The rest of you, I'm leaving. Police wouldn't approve. Better let me have your gun. Wise guy. You know something? I've been thinking. Can you think? If I was to knock off you and Goodwin, me and Gene could split the club between us and nobody would ever know who killed Piper. Very whimsical, Chuck, but if you don't mind... Archie, don't be an idiot. Well, if I have to get shot, I prefer it to happen when I'm moving forward. Archie. Okay, come and get it, Goodwin. March right up nice and easy and take it. I'm coming. <laughs> would somebody mind telling me why I don't fall down? Fool. I've been shot. Well, that's not the way to talk to a man who's just been... Hey, Chuck is lying down. He 
Is he dead? Well, there's been a mistake. I didn't shoot him. He shot me. Archie, stop blabbering. Neither of you shot the other. As a matter of fact... I shot the job. Lucasto. Lucasto, Archie? Well, I thought he escaped. No, I'm not crazy. I do not escape. The fat one, he phones the police to tell them how I'm innocent. Yes, I had the police announce the escape, however, for reasons of, uh, should I say, strategy? <laughs> well, on account of there are no bullet holes in me, you can say whatever you like, Mr. Wolf. Thank you, Archie. That announcement helped heighten the tension our murderers were under. And then they explode. The fat one, he says to me, Locasto, wait in the next room. Watch careful. Maybe there's trouble. I watch. And now? <laughs> now there's no more trouble. Well, place looks a lot tidier now with all those bodies removed, huh? Indeed. Archie, I'll get I... you the bottle of beer. But first, make with an explanation. The case was crystal clear, Archie. Maybe, but I'm no crystal gazer. Sure, I know. Denby had things arranged in advance with Chuck in case anybody held a better hand than his own. Piper did. So Denby whispered to Piper after kicking the light switch and set him up for a shot by Chuck from the doorway. The angle would provide evidence against Lucasto. True. However, we had only Denby's word for it and Chuck's that the door was locked. All right. We know, but you knew before Denby and Chuck blew up. How? The oil spots on the rug, Archie? Well, they only showed the gun had bounced when the murderer threw it away. Spatted oil, very well-kept gun. They showed more than that. Where were those spots in relation to the gun? Think back, Archie. Spots in relation to... Oh, sure. They were between the gun and the door. Therefore, the gun must have been thrown from the door. Bounced twice, staining the rug before reaching its final destination. Oh, I get it now. That told you who'd fired the gun. But there wasn't proof enough, so you set up a nice atmosphere of suspicion and had the boys give each other away. <laughs> All right, Mr. Wolf, you're a genius, and uh, you may have your beer. Thank you, Archie. As for me, I'm not a genius, but I remember a phone number. <laughs> so if you'll excuse me, Mr. Wolf. You're excused, Archie. Thanks. But before you call that number, may I remind you that Jean is a girl of macabre tastes who appeals to the ghoul in you. <laughs> sure you may, but why bother? In order to be able to warn you that uh, a ghoul and his money are soon parted. <laughs> Good night, Archie. Ah. have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program. In the cast were Gerald Moore as Archie Goodwin, and Betty Lou Gerson, Jay Novello, Howard McNear, Barney Phillips, and Bill Johnstone. Next week at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Calculated Risk.
Don Stanley speaking. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. That was The Case of the Killer Cards from The New Adventures of Nero Wolfe here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That came to us from Rob, a listener request. Uh, actually wrote it on pen and paper. Very old-timey of you. Yeah. I'm always a little scared because I'm like, <laughs> wait, I don't know this person. <laughs> right? We've reached that weird point where an actual written letter gives you pause for a second. Yeah. Because now it just feels like the only reason you would get a written letter would be like a ransom note. Like, yeah. If I get mail, I check to see that all my family are in the house. Like, no one's missing. <laughs> I was once told back when I was hosting a television show to not worry about the threatening letters that I was getting unless they wrote in the margins. <laughs> and that was an FBI guy that was brought in because of some serious threat mm-hmm. that was made uh, to me or about me. And he said, yeah, it's nothing. He's not writing in the margins. And then he went away. And I was like, oh. Okay. Well, now I know how to get my threatening letters taken seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Apparently, that's a sign of something. So I, of course, know who Nero Wolfe is, the fictional character, but I never read it. I never saw any movie. I never saw any play, nor did I hear any of these radio shows before. However, it's weird how ingrained in our pop culture Nero Wolfe is because I was able to say, Oh, yeah, Archie Goodwin. And, yeah, he never leaves the house. And, oh, yeah, orchids. And, oh, yeah, beer. And, oh, yeah, he's huge. (laughs) Like, so the basics of it were already in me. And, oh, yeah, he solves crimes. He's super smart. And then I did a little more research, you know, after I listened to this. But I'm going to be honest with you. That's really my first delve into Nero Wolf, and I did not know that about myself until I started to really think about it. I'm in the exact same boat, except for the part where you did more research afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your first Nero Wolf, too. Yes, it is. But it's weird how we, oh, I know who that is. Yeah. And yeah. then you make this weird assumption like, well, of course I've heard or seen or read. And then you go, wait, no, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting thing because it is a very Watson, Holmes like in a Watson sense. and Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was on Mycroft myself. But <laughs> I, right. I meant Mycroft, yes. That was a Freudian slip. It's sort of Mycroft <laughs> combined with Moriarty. I'll tell you one of the research things, uh, as long as we're on this topic, is that there are people out there, and I forget what it's called. There's a term for people. Furries. <laughs> <laughs> There's a term for people that like to investigate possible cross references and fiction and even though most of it is probably nonsense they're convinced of it so there's a lot of theories out there that Nero Wolf is the son of Sherlock Holmes and Irene Adler yeah and Hadler because there is a book where I forget the country that Nero is supposedly from now, uh, but he Not went quite to th- that nerdy. They went to that country and they had an, a, a tryst together in one of the books. And so there are people that have put it together that, aha, then Nero Wolf was born in Macedonia or whatever the country <laughs> is. And therefore he's, there's so many theories. And one of them being that he is the son of Moriarty hmm. and other things. But of course, none of this is real. <laughs> no. What are you saying? <laughs> 
But it's weird how many people are out there spending that much time trying to figure out these cross. I wish I remembered the term that was used to describe people who try to cross reference fiction. Shut ins. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was the deeper research I did. And then I went back to uh, the script. So Tim and I, we are. Uh, Wolf Neural virgins. Neophytes. <laughs> yes. Neophytes? Yes. Oh, well done. You did. How about you, sir? I bet you you've read every book. <laughs> Nero Wolf slut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have read two novels, and I really enjoy them, and I've heard a couple other episodes of this particular version of the Nero Wolf radio show. This was the third one, and I think the first two only have a single episode in existence. So if you want to listen to Nero Wolf, most of what's available out there is the Sydney Green Street version. And in the early 80s, uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting, uh, did a Nero Wolf audio adaptation that I have not heard. This one has one of my favorite old time radio Christmas stories, the case of the slaughtered Santas. <laughs> so I will definitely bring that sometime. And uh, the story lives up to the title. <laughs> Santas wow. get slaughtered. <laughs> Wow. One of the things I did for this podcast is try to figure out what Nero Wolf's beer of choice actually was. And it turns out that it's only in the first novel that they mention a beer by brand. And that's a German beer called Remmers, which I then did a little more research. And somewhere between the World Wars, it was bought by Beck and Company. And so for the podcast today, we are drinking... Beck. Beck. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So I mean, it's not very good beer. It's <laughs> kind of I, a, a wimpy uh, pilsner, but. Well, you know, me and my beers. And I was just thinking, wow, this got a lot of flavor to it. <laughs> I just very... realized I got you guys an opener for this. I'm your Archie. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's a, a mild, low alcohol beer, which makes sense because I think it's in the first Nero Wolf book where he says he's trying to cut back to 12 bottles a day. <laughs> <laughs> That's Andre the Giant numbers. <laughs> so uh, have you ever listened to the radio show before? Yeah, this, you, yeah, this one before. This one. And it is fun to go through all the Archies because they're great radio actors. And this has Gerald Moore, who's just yeah. fantastic to listen to, yeah. just say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and then you throw uh, William the Shadow Johnstone in there, and it is just this potpourri of fantastic old-time radio voices. It's interesting because, you know me, I don't do anything. You, you send them to me, I just start listening. So the first thing that pops into my head is, that's only like Sydney Green Street. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go, oh, yeah, he was the guy. He was the only guy, and it is him. And so, okay, good ear. But here's an interesting thing. I love Sydney Green Street, but if you say Sydney Green Street to me, I say, oh, yeah, Christmas in Connecticut. And nobody says that first. Have you seen Christmas in Connecticut? Nope, nope. never heard of it. <laughs> you haven't? No. Nope. Barbara Stanwyck? Oh, it's, nope. It's a giant door-slamming farce of Christmas fun. <laughs> I believe you, I'm sure. I mean, I think we have similar taste in old movies, so I'm sure that I would uh, greatly enjoy it. She pretends uh, to get an interview with the magazine that uh, she's married and has a baby. And uh, so everybody comes to see her and the baby, and of course she's, you know, like, she doesn't even know how to hold it. <laughs> So, and that's the whole. And Sydney Green Street plays the baby, right? Yes, he's okay. the big, giant, huge baby. 
Well, let's talk about the episode itself, because that was extremely enjoyable. But you've read a couple books, Joshua. Do they do justice to the writing? I think so. I mean, Rex Stout is a wittier writer. I mean, if you're just talking about dialogue on the page. Uh, but I think the scripts from the series capture the charm and the relational aspects that are so entertaining about the book. And it, it is Nero Wolf and Archie Goodwin together. And that chemistry works really well, at least with Gerald Moore and Sidney Greenstreet. And so to me, that's the essence yeah. of it. And, and that's what survives. Could some of the dialogue be a little sharper? Could some of the jokes land a little better? Yeah, but you're talking really nerdy stuff then. <laughs> and always the original author is going to be much better. I mean, the yeah. Philip Marlowe radio series doesn't come close to capturing the wit and literate quality of Raymond Chandler. But right. Gerald Moore is great as Philip Marlowe, and it's good enough, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it catches the essence of... I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying uh, that the, it's also perfect, I think, for COVID nineteen because he is this—he's <laughs> the perfect shit. lockdown detective. <laughs> he has that monologue where he's like, "I left the house. Yeah. I <laughs> braved fresh air." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you sound like half the people I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I loved the whole thing, but I also, in the middle of it, appreciated. They have spent ten minutes getting him to the mystery, like. <laughs> In different hands, I would call that padding, a lot of padding, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's fun here. According to my research in the books, there's twice ever that he leaves his house. So I think that's what I took from it, that this is a rare moment. And he seems very serious that I will hunt you down and kill you if you've hurt Archie, (laughs) but then plays it off once he sees Archie. He's like, "Ah, I'm just here for the fee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And later he's like, yeah, go out on a date with this woman. And, you know, the whole thing is, like, I know exactly what's going to happen, right? You're going to do this and this and this, and you're going to take her back here, and then this and that, and I'll call the police and tell them that, you know, that he's not the actual murderer. So he's got this whole plan. So that means that part of the plan was, yeah, he'll take her to the restaurant, and someone will open fire in the restaurant. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure you guys will duck and be missed. So someone that was like, I'll hunt you down if you hurt Archie, (laughs) at the same moment, threw him out there and crossed his fingers and went, you're probably going to get shot at, but I'm thinking you'll you'll be okay. Yeah. That's another situation of this is a version I like of something I usually hate, which is I have this master plan and just every tiny little detail needs to fall into place for it to work, uh, except clearly this isn't. He's got a pretty good idea and he's got to just throwing a lot of stuff out there and like, ah, it'll all shake out. Yeah, that was my qualm with this episode is that master plan stuff that it all has to go exactly right in order for it to work. And if you're going to do that, I need an explanation as to how you knew that it was infallible. And Sherlock Holmes does it all the time, I think. Not just the Doyle stuff, but like the radio shows and stuff. Like that's a huge master plan where everything's got to go right. And they will backtrack and say, here's how I knew that it would go like that. And then I'm relieved by it. This one, he explains some of it, but things like, and then I'm assuming that that massive gunfire in the restaurant will miss you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's made part of the story. That's why I think it's so great, because Archie calls him on it, and he's like, right. ah, I, I knew you'd be fine. And so it's part of that character yeah. interplay. He's arranged for the other criminal to be there in the other room just in case things go bad, but he hasn't really planned out how. Yeah, it's that's just the part I buy. Like, I've got a guy here with a gun to just fix it if I'm wrong. Yeah. 
Still I could get up and do a lot of stuff and be really careful, or I could <laughs> sit here and drink beer and do the close enough thing. And, <laughs> and I like that because it's built yeah. into the concept. I will stop and tell you, though, my favorite slash most frustrating example of the plan that has to go exactly perfect. All Star Wars movies. The Dark Knight. Oh, yes. Like the Joker's plan. If you pick that apart of like what... I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to put a cell phone in this guy's stomach. And he's going to blow up and just bit by bit. And he claims to like, I never planned. I just improvised. Like, you had a crazy plan. <laughs> That's a lot of yes anding. <laughs> yes. Right? I will stop talking about Dark Knight. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. One of my favorite things about the new Adventures of Nero Wolf structure is that they always come back to this opening hook, which is really an anti-hook. Every episode is some variation on this one where there's the phone rings, Archie answers it, it's a case, he says, do you want it? And Nero Wolf says, no! <laughs> and that's supposed to like get us excited about the adventure. And it's like, yes! Another case not taken. Like They could all stand alone as these weird postmodern sketches. Could, you could see like the kids in the hall doing this. It's like the detective who says no sketch that they would do into the ground over and over again. Or an Andy Kaufman bit. Right. Do you know who else did that? The concept of the Rockford Files is all, I don't want the case. Mm -hmm. I just want to go fishing. Fine, I'll take the case. Then can I go fishing? (laughs) Get it done. A a mystery as a hindrance. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I would love to get into the story of this, the actual Mm -hmm. crazy poker game that these people are undergoing and who these people are. (laughs) What a crazy barbershop quartet of people to run a criminal (laughs) empire. (laughs) And that's part of the style of this one. I do think they just tell you that, yep, these are criminals. (laughs) And that's about all the background you need. And they own something called the Candy Club. (laughs) It is in the most broadest of strokes that the whole group is painted, mainly via accents and gender. That's how you (laughs) know who is who. Uh, Well, and I will tell you that uh, Danby and and Archie, I I had moments of who's talking. It's the shadow. Yeah, and I Philip Marlowe. <laughs> I know. Together in the same radio show. <laughs> I'm going to be one of those weird shut-ins who tries to connect <laughs> all of this now. They were similar enough to throw me from time to time. And like, who's talking? Oh, right, that's Denby, or what, whoever the guy was. They have decided that this card game, winner gets the club. Yeah, and it, like the game is you get five cards, whoever has the best hand wins. That's not much of a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No wonder he had it set up to shoot <laughs> whoever won because your want, odds were bad. Tim's right, though. I want to know what happened before that that they went, okay, here's how we're going to settle this. <laughs> they just said they argued a lot. Yeah. As, you know, criminal masterminds probably do. <laughs> well, you know, when they live in that criminal mastermind fraternity house and you're on top of each other all the time and And that one of the people responsible for this major criminal empire is a raging alcoholic just crazy (laughs) drunk lady but it struck me that i don't hear women drunk in old-time radio i think this might not enough (laughs) damn it (laughs) this is something we should get together go back in time and change (laughs) it is broad stroked as far as plot goes and this is one of those just 
cozy, fun murder mystery type of shows where there's no real human feeling involved in it at all. As I was listening to it and people were getting shot left and right in Wolf's house and the bodies were just piling up, I'm like, they're really casual about it. And then in the next scene, Archie Goodman has a line acknowledging it like, oh, this place is much nicer once you take all the bodies out. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they're just leaning into this. It doesn't affect them at all, the carnage. Was one of my notes is there are, I can't recall all the moments, three or four moments where What's his name? Uh, get shot in the arm when Nero Wolf gets there. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name. I, I kept calling him Lacosco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he gets shot in the arm. Then there's the end where there's two shootings, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the restaurant shooting. Every single one of those shootings, the reaction by everybody is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> there's no reaction. Bam! Shot in the arm. Okay, so he's shot in the arm. Like no one goes, oh my God, did you just shoot him in the arm? Did you just kill that guy? Oh my God, we were having dinner and someone sprayed bullets in here. It's nobody has any reaction. And it's either uh, that hard-boiled style or in the 1940s, man, people were just shooting people and people were cool with it. But the, the reaction is so nothing. Any other thoughts, gentlemen, about this episode of Nero Wolf? There's a great line in here that I wish people would say to me more often, and that is, you're a genius and you may have your beer. (laughs) 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 So if I ever do something nice for you, just say that to me and pass me a beer. If If I could go back in time, I would demand that be my wife's vows to me. My main reaction to this episode was, I love Sidney Greenstreet. I just mm-hmm. I can listen to him say mm-hmm. anything. And his laugh. It is when he equal, makes his stupid pun, yeah. he's so proud of himself. It's equal parts adorable and creepy. I, <laughs> I haven't heard anything like that before. It's like a baby and a lech laughing. <laughs> like they combine the two. <laughs> baby lech. When you're infant, like, I think our kid's not going to turn out well. <laughs> well, let's send this thing to a vote. I'll start. Um, it's hard for me not to thoroughly enjoy Sidney Greenstreet. His performance in it is wonderful, just like everything he does. I love that man. And I had never really, well, I hadn't heard Nero Wolf, but I hadn't really heard him on radio before. And he's a tremendous radio actor as well. For that reason alone, thoroughly enjoyable and stands the test of time. Classic, no, but I am going to now listen to more whatever's remaining. Are they all out there? Can we get them all? Uh, 25 of the 26. Nice. So, yeah. So, not a classic, stands the test of time, thoroughly fun. Yeah, I would be right similar to that. Of if it weren't for Sydney Green Street, I would say it's fun, it's uh, enjoyable. You know, it's not a brain-testing sort of mystery, but the characters and the relationship are enjoyable. Everybody else in the cast is very talented, but Sydney Green Street is really elevates the whole thing. Um, so it definitely stands the test of time, and I enjoyed it a lot. I would love to hear more. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page with this one. I just had so much fun listening to it. I smiled for the full 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. and I don't do that often in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, any radio show that ends with Sidney Greenstreet drinking a beer and going, ah, Mm -hmm. I am on board. So I agree with you. It's not a 
classic standalone uh, radio script. But like mm-hmm. I said, he is the COVID lockdown hero. We have all become a little Nero Wolf-ish <laughs> in the last four months. So in, in some ways, it's strangely contemporary. You had said weeks ago that you had finally come up with your definition of classic. Can I listen to it again and again and mm-hmm. get more out of it? I finally come up with my definition of stands a test of time, and that is taking a human that has never listened to an old-time radio drama, making him listen to it, and they would say, that's pretty good. And uh, I, Not rave I, about it, but just go, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. hate you. Yeah, right. That was fun. <laughs> Half and, hour well spent. Can I leave the room now? <laughs> Can you unlock the door, Eric? <laughs> right? Okay, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You can leave us messages. You can comment on episodes. If you have episodes you'd like us to listen to, you can send us your suggestions. It's also got links to our social media pages. Uh, You can go to Facebook, uh, Mysterious Old Radio Listening Group. Is that the right name of it? Sure. You'll find Uh, it somewhere on Facebook. (laughs) uh, Which is a whole group of fans of old radio who talk to each other about their old radio love. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Only not as weird as that sounds. <laughs> I'll get to describe that correctly someday. It just always sounds weird when I talk about it. Yeah, please don't. This is so wonderful to listen to you struggle through that. <laughs> uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Uh, we have a lot of podcasts that you can listen to. Uh, we are currently making our way through a serial uh, the City of the Dead from Adventures by Morse. We're about halfway through. So uh, if you uh, join the Patreon, you can uh, work your way through the first half and catch up with us. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and write a review because we like those too, and they're free. Also, if you'd like to see us perform live, someday we'll be back on the stage. But in the meantime, we're fulfilling our contract with Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota by doing original works of old-time radio shows that we're recording and putting up, and tickets are cheap, and then we have live Q&A sessions afterwards. Mm-hmm. So go to parksquaretheater.org. In August, uh, we're doing two more recordings uh, that'll be audio, and then soonish, hopefully September, we're actually going to be uh, recording ourselves back on stage doing old-time radio show reproductions or original works. And I would be remiss not to mention, since we're talking about Nero Wolf, that Park Square Theater staged the first adaptations of Nero Wolf novels approved by the estate mm-hmm. of Rex Stout right here in St. Paul. They do a lot of mysteries at Park Square Theater, and they do them very well. In fact, they're doing an original one right now written by Jeffrey Hatcher that is all Zoom-related and... Uh, really actually doesn't back down from the fact that it's on Zoom. Let's just say that and it embraces it. So we're in very good company. I'd also like to thank North Garden Theater in St. Paul because that is where we are for the first time uh, since March. The three of us are in the same room, socially distant, and it's really nice not to be doing this on Zoom and to see you guys again. However, I will say you walked in and I went, wow, beards. (laughs) (laughs) I have the largest beard I've ever had. Is that how you talk about a beard? Large? Um, <laughs> long? It's swollen. Oh, yeah. I'm going to see a doctor right after this. <laughs> All I know is, for me, the two of you look really hot, and I don't mean sexy. <laughs> it's so hot outside today, and you guys come in with, I put more hair on. <laughs> 
But it's really nice to see you guys again. And our thanks again to North Garden Theater, which is not only a great theater, but an event space. So if you're in the St. Paul area and you're looking for an event space, they are open and they are uh, up to all the codes and that you can hold your event here. So yeah. look And up. look upstairs. We might be there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's coming up next? Uh, next, we have another listener request. It is Cat's Cradle from The Price of Fear. Until then. <laughs> this is the jolliest, merriest Christmas I ever spent. <laughs> it's like a baby in a lech.